the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and tonight is a very, very special edition of the show. Not only is it Father's Day, and happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there, but I'm actually joined tonight by my friend and former fantasy manager for baseball prospectus, Derek Carty. And today we'll be discussing yet another top prospect call-up, as well as a trio of struggling lefties. And Derek, you currently write for Fantastics and DFS Edge, which is actually a new daily fantasy advice site. And you've also written for FanDuel in the past, which actually offers fantasy sports contests. So clearly, you know a lot about this daily fantasy game. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we actually had a show where we uh, discussed a lot of fantasy strategy. So you actually posted an article, uh, what was it, today on DFS Edge about uh, home versus road hitters? Or I think it was yesterday, maybe. Yeah, a couple days ago. Um, But yeah, I'm super excited to be with DFS Edge and to sort of be a part of this daily fantasy community. I really think it's, you know, like a burgeoning, you know, sector of the fantasy market. And I think there's a lot of unexplored territory and a lot of really cool stuff to look at. So, So I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've gotten much more into fantasy this year, uh, daily fantasy. I mean, previous years I've played FanDuel, but it would mostly be like, oh, you know, I'm bored tonight. I have nothing to do. Let me play one head-to-head matchup uh, once a week or or once every couple of weeks. But this year I've actually been playing like four times a week and doing a a lot of the 50-50s and the double-ups. And now I'm taking it more seriously and, and using projections and everything. But but you posted that article about home versus road hitters, and I thought it was very interesting because I think the logic was initially that, all right, home hitters are going to perform better than road hitters, so always go home. But then the thought was, well, if the home team is leading, then home hitters might not get the opportunity to bat in the ninth, which is an extra at-bat that they don't get where the road hitters always will. And so, huh, maybe the road hitters are the better idea. But you found differently. So why don't you yeah. share with us exactly what you looked into? Yeah, that's almost exactly it. Basically, the road hitters are guaranteed to play nine innings every single game, whereas the home hitters, you know, some of the time, about 20% of the time, aren't going to get that ninth inning, and they're going to get robbed of an at-bat, or at least some of the hitters are. Um, so I looked at that, and I tried to find out whether, you know, it's better to target the road hitters. And what I found was that while the road hitters do average more plate appearances per game, um, the home field advantage that the home hitters have pretty much negates the effect and makes the home hitters, you know, better bets overall. Um, just because they're so much better on a per plate appearance basis, that the small difference that the that the road hitters get from, you know, it's I think I found it's like 0.2 plate appearances per game on average that the road hitters, you know get on top of what home hitters do. So that's that's pretty much what I found. So you know what? Actually, I just realized this now. I think maybe the best strategy might be to take the home hitter that has a bad starting pitcher going. 
because then you assume if they have a bad starter, they're going to be losing the entire game, and they're going to have to bat in the ninth because they're going to be down. And that might be the best way to go. I think that's actually a very viable strategy. I think that's I just something... won. I just won the best strategy in the history of this <laughs> <laughs> I think you did. Congratulations. Your trophy will be in the mail. Uh, am I going to be get, getting hired by DFS Edge right now? You know what? I could put in a good word. I know people. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the other thing I did find, though, was that um, road hitters can be better pickups in, like, large tournaments where you need to embrace volatility and risk because if the home hitters, you know, lose that, that extra at-bat in the ninth inning, um, basically, on average, road hitters are better. But there's no such thing as a fractional plate appearance in real life. Either you get the extra plate appearance in the ninth inning or you don't. So when the road hitters do get that extra plate appearance, then they're the better bets. But that only happens, you know, 20% of the time. So, you know, on average, you're better going with the home hitter. But if you want to embrace the risk of it, then the road hitter is the way to go. So I think also another good strategy, uh, and, and you're talking about in larger leagues where you want to embrace volatility, guys like Adam Dunn, Chris Carter, which are basically all-or-nothing guys, go Absolutely. for Adam Dunn and Chris Carter in away games. So, there, I mean, a whole roster of, you know, eight Adam Dunn's. That's like a boomer bust team all playing away. That's what you want to do. Yeah, that might be a little bit overkill, but that's the general concept. <laughs> you'll because, get zero, I mean, zero or, like, infinity points, and you'll come in yeah. last or first. Exactly. I mean, it doesn't matter if you finish in, you know, the 75th percentile or the 5th percentile when – in a large tournament, you might need to finish, you know, in the 95th or 99th. It doesn't matter how close you get to that. If you don't get there, you lose. Yeah, it's interesting how your strategy on what kinds of players to target really depends on how many people are in the tournament that you're you're facing and in what kind of actual contest you're playing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the strategy is wildly different based on all the contextual factors, which is the kind of thing that I've been harping on for years, even in regular fantasy, how context is everything. Yeah, and uh, I have to admit, I'm, I'm really looking forward to you and, and Todd Zola as well of MastersBall.com. Uh, he also joined DFS Edge. So they really got two awesome, awesome analytics guys that are definitely going to help fantasy players and me uh, dominate, hopefully, on, on websites like FanDuel. So. Yeah. That was that was one of the one of the reasons I wanted to come on board because I heard Todd was talking to them too and Todd is you know phenomenal. Todd does a lot of the same type of stuff that I do and I think we're probably going to be collaborating on some projects in the near future. I know he's got some stuff in the pipeline that's that's pretty exciting. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of cool stuff ahead. Very cool. All right, let's move along to the most interesting player alive today. And guess who's number one, folks? It's Corey Kluber. I, I think Carson Sestoli is behind this once again, uh, and Kluber, Kluber, Kluber was dominant today, and once again, he headed uh, Carson's daily notes today, as usual, with the car, uh, the Corey Kluber, what was it, the Corey Kluber uh, Society, of course. So we move down to number three tonight, and that's Adam Lind, a player we actually have not spoken one word of the entire season. So why not start today? And Lind has been on fire uh, since the beginning of May. He's hit 385 with eight home runs. So the question now, Derek, is, is he a guy who 
should continue to provide value in a shallower 12-team mixed type of a league? I think he's going to provide value. He's definitely not going to continue to provide the kind of value he is now. But I think he's, you know, as like a corner infielder or uh, like a utility type guy in a, you know, a 12-team mixed league, I think he's, you know, moderately valuable, like, you know, a $5 player maybe. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is if you look at his peripherals, his walk rate is way up. But if you look at his monthly splits, I mean, that really only was fueled by his April when he posted a a nearly 22% walk rate. And and since May, his walk rate is back down while his strikeout rate is up. And in June, his walk rate is way down. So I'm wondering what happened in April to drive that change. And I mean, it's still showing up at this point in his season stats, but it's uh, kind of getting washed out just based on his June, which is back to normal. And, And right now, I mean, his BABIP is at... 396, and and that's the real driver at this point, because he's batting 350, and obviously that's just not sustainable. No, not not even a little bit. I mean, aside from that BABIP, like almost all of his peripherals are pretty much in line with what he's done for you know the past few years. I mean, his strikeout rate is the same, his home run per fly ball rate is the same, his fly ball rate is the same. I mean, we're really looking at you know kind of the same hitter, just with some some luck on balls in play, I think. Yeah, and he's somebody, I think, also who's more valuable, actually, in a daily transactions league because he just doesn't face lefties. And the funny, uh-huh. thing, the funny thing is he's actually had 22 at-bats against lefties this year and figures he's betting 500 against them with a home run. So, <laughs> so maybe he's earning some playing time but of course his bad is 667 against them which is crazy and he hasn't walked once and he struck out six times already so that's probably not sustainable but in a daily transaction league when you can just sub him out and uh get somebody else in there to cover his spot in those days uh i think that's a pretty valuable player if you can get 575 at bats out of that slot yeah, absolutely. I'm a big fan of platooning guys in daily transactions leagues. Guys like, you know, Will Venable or Chris DeNorfia in San Diego. Guys like Lind, you know, guys who are only going to play against the one hand, but when they play, they're going to be good. So when you combine them, you get like a, like a super spot out of it. Yeah, and especially if you have a league with a deep bench, like an Adenu league actually on Fangraphs, then that's definitely worthwhile. If you have a small bench, it makes that strategy a bit harder though. All right, let's move yeah. along to uh, – it, it seems like every single show there's another big-time prospect getting called up. And today it happened once again, and that's Will Myers gets called up by the Rays. And it's crazy because I think we literally just talked about him last week, how it seemed like there was conflicting news. There was a tweet by – I think it was Jim Bowden saying that Myers was going to be called up so, uh, shortly. But then the organization said, no, 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 that's not true. We have no plans to call him up, and he has nowhere to play. And sure enough, he gets called up tonight. There was no injury. There was nothing that happened. So, I mean, what do you think happens here? Does he just take over for Luke Scott? Obviously, they're not going to call him up to sit. He's going to play every day. Yeah, you can't call up a prospect like that and just have him sit. He's either got to be playing at AAA or he's got to be playing in the majors. So I think it's pretty clear that they're going to give him every day at bats. Um, but it's definitely going to come at the expense of, you know, some some fairly decent players, I think. And I think Scott is probably, probably the you know, the main guy who's going to take a hit here from it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, does Will Myers, do you know if he has any center field experience? Um, 
I think he has a little center center field experience, but I know scouts don't really see him as as a center fielder long term. All right, so, so really little chance that he takes any playing time away from Desmond Jennings, which would scare the crap out of me because I own Jennings in several leagues and he hasn't been very good. He's been a bit of a disappointment, especially in the stolen base department. Uh, obviously, he's not going to take playing time away from Matt Joyce and uh, the the combo of uh, Ben Zobris and Kelly Johnson between outfield and second base, that's not going to happen either. Yeah, I mean, I could see him maybe getting a little bit of left field time. I mean, Sam Fold's been playing a little bit out there recently, so I kind of, I could see his time getting cut. You know, Myers taking his starts in left field, um, maybe cutting into Johnson a little bit, but I think I think Scott's going to be the main guy that, that takes a hit. Yeah, but the thing is, is that, do you really think he's going to be that much better offensively than Luke Scott? Because, I mean, I'm looking at the steamer projections right now for the rest of the season, and they're almost identical offensively. I mean, I'm sure Will Myers is going to provide more defensive value. But I don't know. I don't see this as an automatic upgrade for them. And so it's, it's kind of curious that they're going to – I mean, Luke Scott is a decent bat, so it's a surprise. Just, yeah. I've always liked Luke Scott. I think Luke Scott is a good hitter. He's had his injury troubles, but when he's on the field, I mean, he had the benefit of Camden Yards for a number of years, but he's he's a solid hitter. Yeah, all right. So we got that out of the way. I mean, you got to assume that Myers is going to play every day. Whoever sits, sits. But Myers is going to pretty much play every day. Otherwise, they wouldn't have called him up. Now, is he a guy who you think is going to have 12-team mixed uh, league value? I mean, obviously, in a deeper league, you got to take the chance with his power-speed combination. But I have my doubts in a 12-team mixed league given a strikeout rate. As do I. I think he's worth picking up just to see what happens. I mean, like prospects like this can be kind of boom or bust. I mean, if he starts off really hot, like, you know, he puts up a Yasiel Puig show for the next, you know, week or two, then you have a trade shift, you know, at the very least. So he's worth picking up just to see. But I kind of agree with you that I don't see him being all that valuable in like a 12-team mixed league Um for the rest of the season. I think I think the strikeout rate, as you said, is concerning. Um, you know, he struggled a little bit out of the gate this year at AAA. Um, so I'm, I'm not totally, totally sold on him yet. Yeah, I think in an on-base percentage league like Tout Wars, in your Tout Wars league, you're not in the mixed anymore, right? No, I'm in the NL. Right, so you're still using uh, batting average, right? Yeah. Right, only the mixed are using on-base percentage, which I'm in. So I think on base percentage leagues, he'll probably be worth a little more, but you don't have to worry about like a 240 batting average. And, uh, you know, he's had good walk rates in the minors, so his on base percentage should be better relative to the rest of the outfielders compared with his batting average. But, I mean, this guy, what's that? Just a, just a tangent for a second. How is the, the on base percentage going in Tout Mix this year? Because I was very much against it, you know, moving past the mixed league stage. Um, so are people liking it or. Is this something that might get killed off? Hey, I'm liking it because I own Joey Votto, so <laughs> I'm loving it. And Shinsu Chu. But, I mean, to me, and I, it was very interesting because I read all of those blog posts back and forth debating the merits of changing to on-base percentage. And I don't see why it matters. Whatever the categories are, I'm going to value players based on those categories. Who cares what the categories are? Who cares if it measure? it's a better measure of a better skill? I don't care. I just want to know what the categories are and what to value players based on those categories. It doesn't matter to me. I completely agree with you there. I don't care for the argument that it's a better, you know, indicator of skill. I kind of care that it's easier to predict, and I think it makes the game a little bit more boring that way. That's, that's <laughs> I don't know. That was my stance on it. 
Well, I mean, it still is influenced by BABIP because batting average is a part of on-base percentage. But what well, less so because the, the walks are in there. Right. Like a, a, like a smaller percentage of it is influenced by BABIP. Right, exactly. And, and walk rate is obviously a lot more consistent than BABIP. So I would say on-base percentage is probably a little more consistent than batting average, which, right, uh, makes it less variable. But yeah, I mean, to me, I have no idea what other people think of how it's gone so far, but I, I honestly don't care. I mean, whatever the category is, that's what I'm going to value players as, and it, it really doesn't change much. I mean, I wouldn't have drafted Joey Votto if it wasn't a non-base percentage league. I wouldn't have drafted Chu as early when I did if it wasn't an OBP league, so my team would be different. So... Not really important to me, but I do think Myers will be a little more valuable in an OBP league. Uh, I mean, do you see there any being any potential that he struggles enough where he ends up getting demoted, or do you think he's up for good and and they're going to give him a long leash and just let him play out the year and see how he does? Um, no, I think there's definitely a non-zero chance he gets sent back down. I don't think it's great, but I do think you know there's there's a decent chance that he struggles. And especially um, if the Rays kind of stay in the AL East race a little bit, I think if he struggles, we could see him being sent back down because as we said, they do have a pretty solid hitter in Luke Scott or Kelly Johnson or whoever, you know, whoever sits in favor of him, um, you know, ready to take his place back. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, the, the, the great and exciting thing about Myers is that he also gives that stolen base potential and so there's kind of a floor underneath his value because he's not just a, a home run guy where if he struggles to make contact, he's not going to hit any home runs and hit for a low average. At least if he does get on base, he does have the potential to steal bases. And obviously any potential five-category guy, although he's probably a potential four-category guy since so he's not going to hit for average uh, anytime soon, I mean that's obviously intriguing in fantasy leagues. Um- how many steals do you see him getting, though? Like, I don't really see him as, like, a big steal guy, like, maybe a handful, but yeah, nothing. And, and Ray's stolen bases this year. You know, I don't have the stats in front of me, but just off the top of my head, it seems like they're way down. Desmond Jennings, maybe it's also because he's gotten caught more often, but his stolen bases are down. Ben Zobris only has, like, four or five steals all year. Um, I mean, I don't think they have any other big steals, guys, but I, I think that their steals are way down versus the pace of last year. So you might be right. He might not steal as many bases as one might expect given his minor league track record. Um, yeah, so I haven't had much of a chance to look this year, but I know that research I did um, in the past basically showed Joe Madden to be you know, a slightly above average manager in terms of letting his guys run. So I don't know if his philosophy has changed at all this year, but you know, in terms of stolen bases, it is you know, a fairly favorable situation, at least based on my past research. Uh, you know, for Myers. Yeah, I mean, it's possible that they're running less also because the offense has surprised, actually. I mean, Matt Joyce is having a fantastic year, and uh, obviously what they've gotten from Kelly Johnson has been uh, a real pleasant surprise. And James Loney, of course. So their offense has really exceeded expectations, and that might be one of the main reasons why Madden has decided to run less, just because he's a freaking smart manager, probably one of the smartest managers in baseball and, and knows the, the stats and knows sabermetrics. And so it's, it's very possible that he's just decided to run less because his offense has performed so well. Yeah, absolutely possible. All right. Sticking on Rays and moving along to a trio of struggling left-handed pitchers. First, I want to start off with Matt Moore, who uh, toward the end of May, I wrote an article with the subject 
Matt Moore is the sell highest, highest starting pitcher. Yes, I made up that word, highest, and I can't even pronounce it now. And ever since then, he's gotten absolutely clobbered. So my crystal ball clearly worked quite well after that. Moore, in June, has given up, uh, what is that, like 14 runs in 12 and a third innings? He has a 13.86 ERA in 12 and a third innings over th- uh, three starts with 11 walks. What the heck, if anything, is wrong with Matt Moore? Or is this just a, you know, a, a bunch of bad starts strung together in a row and, and just basically regression to the mean after a really hot but lucky start? I think it's kind of a combination of both. I think mostly we're looking at sort of some, you know, like a regression situation. Um, I don't think he was as good as he was, you know, portraying himself to be in the opening weeks of the season. Um, you know, for the past couple of years now, he's kind of had some shaky control and he's a fly ball pitcher. So guys like that with that combination, they kind of walk a fine line between having to strike out everybody so that, you know, they're not causing, they're not, you know, getting a, I don't know what I'm trying to say. So the thing with Matt Moore is that there are so many warning signs here. His velocity is actually down two miles per hour from last year. His first strike rate is way down. His swinging strike rate is way down. I mean, this is basically a sign of a pitcher who's pitching injured. I mean, we haven't heard anything, but there's absolutely nothing in the right direction right now for Matt Moore. So if you were an owner, would he be somebody – I can't imagine what you can get for him now after these disastrous starts. So I don't know if it's a sell-low situation or what do you do if you were an owner and would you be looking to buy low? I mean, how do you handle this situation? I don't know if I'd necessarily be looking to buy low, depending how low low actually is. Like if I can get him for pennies, sure, I'll take him. I'll bench him and I'll see what happens over the next few weeks. And if he starts to turn around, then I'll put him into my lineup. Um, but if I'm if I'm actually a Matt Moore owner right now, I don't think I'm selling him because what am I gonna get? It's kinda like it's kinda like the BJ Upton situation. Like BJ Upton, you're not gonna get anything for him right now because he's been so bad, but his upside is so high that, you know, you don't wanna dump him. You know, it's just it's a tricky situation. Yeah. Matt Moore for me, I don't think is a buy low at all. Just because I wouldn't be surprised if in the coming weeks we uh, get some news, oh Matt Moore's Telling everybody that his shoulder is hurting him and, oh, it's been hurting him all season long. Because, I mean, yep. It seems like that always happens that, you know, a player comes out and a struggling player comes out and tells us that he's been playing through injury this whole time. But he's been too much of a man to actually admit it and, and get placed on the DL and, and stop hurting his team. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was Matt Moore's uh, situation right now. I mean, I would be scared out of my mind to actually trade for this guy. Yeah, as would I. I mean, that kind of situation, I think, is fairly common for guys like this, or at least anecdotally it seems to be. So wouldn't surprise me in the least if that sort of thing happens in the next couple weeks. All right, let's move along to another struggling southpaw, and that is John Lester, who uh, also pitched today. And including today, he now has a 720 ERA over his last six starts. And he started off really well, well enough that I'm like, okay, last year was a complete bad luck related fluke and John Lester is back. But after that early season good start, doesn't look like John Lester is back after all. So I mean, what is going on here? It's really hard to say. I mean, since he's been struggling, he's basically been walking the entire world, which could just be, you know, random variation, but when you're walking almost the batter per inning, it's 
probably not. It's probably something mechanical or injury related or, you know, something else along those lines. Um, although it is worth noting that he walked zero batters tonight in five innings. So I don't know. Yeah. And you know what? Let me check his game log for today. So actually, since his last start at the end of the month in May, his May 31st start versus the Yankees, since then, his swinging strike rates were 2.6%, 4.6%, 4.1%. And let's see if they have – well, they're not going to have today because it was just today. I assume his stri- swinging strike rate was a lot better today just because he had eight strikeouts. But before that, those three previous starts were quite scary. I mean, if you, th- those are extremely low swinging strike rates and all coming in a row and from a pitcher named John Lester. Uh, I mean, that's – a scary thought and and you had to wonder is this guy healthy and it's so hard to speculate about injury I mean his velocity has basically been fine so you really just got to wonder what is going on and he's another guy I think I'd be less afraid to trade to buy low for him than Matt Moore but he does make me a little nervous especially after what happened last year and the fact that his strikeout rate is is no better why why would be less scared about him than Moore uh, his peripherals aren't as bad, and his velocity is fine as opposed to Moore, whose velocity is down. Lester's first strike rate is, you know, the same as it's always been. Um, ground ball rate's still excellent, and his Sierra is is just better than Moore. So I mean, he's still pitch. He's still a better pitcher, I think, than Matt Moore at this point. Uh, to make me less concerned, but I, I still am concerned, just giving those. Uh, bad swinging strike rates and the control problems. I mean, and, and John Lester, we know, has battled uh, injuries here and there. So just like, you know, Josh Beckett, you just never know exactly what, what's going on with him. Right. Yeah, let's move along to our last pitcher who, I mean, this is a guy who I, I'm basically throwing up my arms at this point. I actually think you picked him up. Didn't you pick up Scott Casimir? Didn't you pick him up at one point in the Rasball Expert League? No, definitely not me. <laughs> then there was somebody <laughs> else that you picked up that I want. Maybe Liriano or somebody. I don't know. But Probably Liriano. Yeah. I love Liriano. Casimir is somebody that I've picked up in a couple of leagues. And I keep looking at a Sierra that remains below four, although, uh, yeah, it remains below four, which takes into account as a last start. And, and a, a 354 BABIP, uh, an 18% home run per fly ball rate, and yet he just gets crushed every outing. So... I, I just don't know what to do with him because it's hard to ignore that kind of a strikeout rate, and, and the skills are decent enough. I actually got a Twitter question uh, earlier today asking me if he should drop him in his AL-only league. I st- I own him in a mixed league, in a 12-team mixed league, and so I don't know what to do. I mean, if you owned him, Derek, what would you do? Well, honestly, I don't know who's crazier, you for owning him in a 12-team mixed league or the Twitter guy for trying to drop him in an AL-only league. (laughs) I mean, at some point he did have a Sierra that was well below four, and I mean, at some point in his starts, he was was throwing up to 96, and that got me intrigued, and and I've held on to him. I think, oh, he had two starts this week, so I wanted him for, for this week. That didn't go too well. So, I mean, I, I haven't really found anybody else intriguing enough to pick up in that league. So, I haven't really been rushing out to drop him. So, I really don't know what to do. So, I mean, 12-team mixed league, you're saying absolutely not worth having on your team. No, you're no, definitely not. Because even if his peripherals are good this year, and good I'm kind of using loosely, 
Um, you know, the strikeout rate is good. His velocity has been higher than it has been for quite a few years now. But he's still Ka- Scott Casimir. I mean, his track record in the past, you know, the past I don't know how many years has been pretty terrible. So, I mean, even if he's putting up the good peripherals now, that's not necessarily an indication of his true talent level. I mean, it's what it's what he's done in a 55-inning sample, and I kind of believe Scott Casimir to be a worse pitcher than than his peripherals indicate right now. Well, I mean, from 2005 to 2008, you have to remember that when he pitched for the Rays, or the Devil Rays back then, I mean, he was posting consistent mid-three ERA. That was when his velocity was, you know, at its peak and basically what it is right now. So the good Casimir was quite good, and he was posting really good strikeout rates back then. So, I mean, that upside of... Vintage Casimir is worth 12-team mixed league consideration, but it doesn't sound like you think he can really keep up these peripherals is what you're saying. I think the upside is there. I guess maybe where we disagree is that I don't think the upside, you know, and the chance of him actually making good on that upside is worth 12-team mixed league consideration. I think in a 12-team mixed league, there's probably plenty of other, you know, solid pitchers out there on the waiver wire that don't have the implosion potential that Scott Casimir has. I mean, like, you have a huge bench and you can just sit on him and just, you know, wait and see a little bit, then I'm okay with that. But I don't know. I'm not I'm not about him in a 12-team next league. Yeah, well, yeah, implosion potential is exactly what happens when you get a fly ball guy who walks a lot of batters. I mean, that's basically Oliver Perez. <laughs> and Oliver Perez was not fun to own. During his last yeah. couple of years, Jonathan Sanchez was another guy. Um, I mean, that's not really good company to keep. No. Nope. So, all right. So you would recommend me uh, not holding on to him in my league. Which yeah. The other thing in a 12-team mixed league is that um, even at the end of the season, like the ERAs and WHIPs for the top teams are so good. If you have like a couple like disaster outings from Scott Casimir, it's gonna you know really hurt your chances. Um, you know, in the long run, just because the level of pitcher you need to own in a 12-team mixed league to compete, you know, for the big points is just so high. What? So you're saying that a 165 whip is not a, a, a positive in a 12-team mixed league? It's not ideal, Mike. It's no. really not ideal. Man, you're talking me off the ledge here. Or you're, you're, you're talking – I don't know what you're doing, but I don't <laughs> like it. I don't like it. I don't, I don't know what to do, but it's going to be hard because I – Ah, oh, freaking Scott Casimir. But all right, so AL only lead to this Twitter guy. I, I mean, obviously, I, I still own him, and I'm not rushing out to drop him necessarily. Although after this talk, I might. But AL only lead, you're thinking you gotta hold on to him, but there can't possibly be anything better on free agency, right? Yeah, absolutely. You have to hold him in an AL only league. All right. You, ha- you have to. You have to start him. I think most weeks, unless he has, <laughs> you know, a really bad matchup. Yeah, I mean, that's the sad thing about only leagues is that there's literally nothing on free agency that is basically anybody with a pulse. Got to be in your starting lineup. Yeah, I think in my AL only league, I think Dallas Kuchel got got picked up like a week or two ago. So, you know, the pickings are pretty slim. Hey, you're just like Eno Saros with the pronunciations. Did you know his name is actually Dallas Keuchel? Can you believe that's Keuchel? I actually thought it was Kuchel. Really? Yeah, I, th- I always thought it was Dallas Kuchel as well, but then I, I happened to be watching some of Keiko's starts, probably because I always picked a bunch of hitters against him in Daily Fantasy on FanDuel, and so uh-huh. I, I would watch his games, and they're like, it's Dallas Keiko. I'm like, that's Keiko, Really? I had no idea. Hmm. Good to know. Yeah, you learn a lot about pronunciation listening to the to the show, because Eno is uh, really good at pronouncing names incorrectly, and I always have to correct him. <laughs> so you're picking up the slack when he's not on... Um, Nice. 
All right, let's move along to Kyle Blanks, who's been on fire. And I'm going to toot my own horn once again. Mid-May, I named him as a deep league waiver wire option. And how many home runs has he hit since then? Let me count them. He has hit one, a two, three, four, five, six home runs since that article in about a month. I am awesome. Virtual pat on the back. My pod horser, ladies and gentlemen, Thank you. is a golden god. He is a genius. I always when knew that my future, player, you be, do it. my future would be the expert fantasy baseball forecaster. That's what I dreamed of being when I was a child. Along with an ice cream truck. We all did, but we can't all reach such lofty heights, Mike. I mean, I'm still, I'm still trying to get there. I actually wanted to be an ice cream truck driver when I was a kid. <laughs> no, you didn't. I seriously did. I had really lofty goals back in the day. Did you just like assume that you'd be able to have like as much free ice cream as yes. you wanted? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to work in a treasury for the same reason. So yeah, that makes sense. Or like in a like a like a I don't know a dollar bill minting factory type yeah. of situation. So you could just take all the money that you can fit under your clothes and, and just walk out yeah. and you would catch it. That's absolutely. Five-year-old logic makes that, you know, a very, very, you know, very nice situation. And then, you know what? You can use that money to go to my ice cream truck and purchase some ice cream from me. Oh, perfect. Perfect. See, Although you wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't let me some free ice cream, really? Absolutely. You're just going to hog it all yourself? <laughs> absolutely not. If you're going to tell me to drop Scott Casimir, nope, absolutely not. It's for your own good, Mike. <laughs> all right, let's talk about Kyle Blanks. So... Here's a guy who's getting an opportunity because of injuries in San Diego. But you have Yonder Alonso perhaps returning from the DL in a couple of weeks. Uh, Carlos Quinn, of course, might now go on the DL. So this might open up some playing time for Blanks for a little while. But let's assume that Quentin does not go on the DL and Yonder Alonso comes back from the DL in two weeks. What happens to Blanks' playing time? I mean, can they really bench him? Uh I mean, really, they shouldn't. But I mean, I kind of think it has to take a hit. They just have so many, so many options. I think you know he'll, you know, fall into a rotation. He's not going to be playing every day. Yeah, and it's funny because you would assume that. I mean, he's enormous, and you would just assume he would suck defensively in the outfield. But he actually has a positive UZR throughout his career, and it's over 735 innings. It's not like 50 innings. So he's not a complete zero in the outfield, which is good, meaning that the Padres couldn't throw him out there, and and, and they shouldn't expect to. He's probably better defensively than Quentin, actually. So defensively, I don't think that's going to prevent him from garnering some playing time. And uh, we know that out. Can you imagine Kyle Blanks actually in center field instead of Cameron Mabin? That would be fun. Um, I don't know. I mean, I could see them playing, you know, Denorfi and Venable out in center field and giving Blanks a lot of time and right, um, you know, depending on how long Mabin's out for. But, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm really, really kicking myself from not actually taking my own advice and picking him up in, in the various deep leagues that he was actually available in when I wrote that column. So I actually didn't pick him up in any of my leagues. I was stupid. And and right now his home run per fly ball ratio is going to be a little higher than 21% uh, because he homered today. But, I mean, this is a guy with mammoth power, and he's a mammoth-sized human being. So it's not an outrageous number that you automatically look at it and say, oh, regression. Plus, his fly ball rate is only at 34%, and given his history, 
that might actually rise throughout the season. So, I mean, I don't think this is somebody who's necessarily going to slow down and regress. I think that he can reasonably continue relatively at this level. I just want to circle back for one second to what you said, where you recommended him to your readers and didn't pick him up yourself. Yeah. That dishonesty at its, at its form. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I do pick up the player, like Erasmo Ramirez. I actually picked up in the one league he was available uh, the other day in my 12-team in my mixed league, actually. So I took that advice. But, but Blanks... Blanks, I just figured, was going to lose playing time very quickly before the DL moves hit in San yeah. Diego. So in a 15-team mixer, I didn't think it was deep enough for Blanks to be worth anything. And then all the, the injuries hit, and Blanks just kept on playing and kept on hitting. So, yeah, Totally reasonable. Um, and I kind of tend to agree. I think Blanks could be good. I mean, he was once, you know, a pretty legit prospect. You know, I think the power is pretty real. I mean, not quite 20% home run for fly ball real, but he's got good power. And I don't know. I kind of think he can be he can be a solid hitter. Yeah, I think the biggest question is that contact rate. I mean, right now his strikeout percentage is the best of his his short major league career, uh, and it's really jumped all over the place. And and this is you know basically the best level it's been. So the question is, can it stay this good? And his contact percentage, uh, which is like one of the underlying metrics in the plate discipline section, is actually significantly improved. Uh, swinging strike rate also improved. Still below average, though. So, I mean, I think that's the most important thing to monitor right now. If he can maintain that strikeout rate, I think he could be very good and, and maintain pretty good value in all leagues all year long. So, I think that's just the one holdup. I agree. All right, let's get to our last player. And guess who's back? And that's Josh Rutledge as Troy Tulowitzki has his annual in- injury. I've never owned Troy Tulowitzki, and he's making me not want to ever own him. Because, I mean, he's somebody who you just assume, all right, when's that injury going to happen? Because you know it's going to come at some point during the season. I mean, it's sad. <laughs> he's only had three 500 at-bat seasons and never two in a row. So I am in the exact same boat. I took over a keeper league team this year, and one of my keepers was Troy Tulowitzki. And I have been trying to trade him for like the past month because it's like, when is this injury going to come? I want to get someone else I can keep next year who isn't going to get injured. And I was not able to do it. (laughs) Yeah, so Josh Rutledge is back after a short stay in the minors. And he went down to the minors and he actually hit really well. Of course, it was inflated by a 393 BABIP. But he showed a much improved walk rate, which was the biggest knock against him previously. Um, and he's back in the two hall. It really amazes me. I don't know what the Rockies are doing. I have Nolan Arenado in one of my leagues, and I'm like, why is he not hitting second? Why does Rutledge, who was sent down to the minors, then he's called back up, and he's right back in the two hall? Like, what are you doing? Give Arenado a chance in the two hall, but they're not for the time being. So, Josh Rutledge, I mean, do you think he'll be better than he was during his first time around this season? Yes, I do. I'm completely with you with Arenado. I have him in Tout Wars and Labor, so. It's frustrating, but I do think Rutledge is going to be better than he was the first time around. I think his plate discipline that he showed at AAA was, you know, very encouraging. It's better than he's done pretty much at any stop of the minors before. Um, so, yeah, I think I think he's he's got, you know, a pretty good hitting approach. Um, you know, he's got a pretty quick bat, um, you know, a little bit of pop, a little bit of speed. I think I think he's a good guy to own. Yeah, and I think what got him sent down basically was a, a 246 bad bip when he uh, was – 
before he was demoted, or it was you know slightly different because that includes uh, the few bets he had since coming back up. But it was a low bad bit basically was the problem. And he has not hit a whole lot of infield flies. He's hit a lot of ground balls. So it's basically been a better ball profile that has suggested a better bad bit. Of course, his line drive rate was uh, pretty low, but he should post a much better bad bit and at least hit 270 or so with a nice power speed combo. Yeah, so I mean, if he's still laying around in, in shallower mixed leagues and you need an MI or a second baseman or shortstop, absolutely pick him up. Because I mean, obviously, that Rockies lineup is awesome. And if he's still hitting at the top of the lineup, then uh, it could be a very valuable middle infielder that might be under the radar right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think the two-hole really kind of cements it. Like, he's kind of got across the board. There's, like, nothing great in any of them. But if he's going to, you know, post a little bit of batting average, some home runs, some steals, you know, and score a bunch of runs from the two-hole, you know, that's that's a shallow mixed league kind of guy. Yeah, and if that improved walk rate when he got sent back down, if that's for real, that would help him keep it up in the two-hole and obviously also boost his run score total just because he'll be on base more often, which is uh, really key in those uh, slugfests at Coors Field, especially with Carlos Gonzalez, who has been ridiculous recently uh, behind him. Yep. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us on this very, very exciting and special edition of the show. So join us again on Tuesday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Derek Carty, I'm Mike Podhorzer, and thanks for tuning in.